As we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to go ahead and finish off this chapter, picking up in verse 12, when here Paul is talking to us about the God who leads us into victory. God who leads us into victory. Now I want you to write that down maybe in your notepad or as you're taking notes in your Bible, that God leads us into victory. Why is it important that we do that? Why is it important that we talk about the God who leads us into victory? Because this is exactly what Paul is going through today. This is exactly what he's going to be teaching us today. So let's go ahead and pray right now. And as we do pray, I do want to dismiss the youth to go out in the back as well. But let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you not only for what you're going to do today, Lord, but what you did yesterday and what you're going to do tomorrow. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to demonstrate and show to us your faithfulness and your love, God. To show to us, Lord, how good you are, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we would learn from 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that you do lead us into victory, that you give us the victory, Christ. That God leads us into victory and you, Jesus, are the one who gives us, Lord, the victory, God. We thank you, Lord, for the trials and tribulations that we go through, Lord, because they teach us, Lord. They're a part of our testimony. In Jesus' name, together we said. Amen. You see that Paul was defending his testimony here. He was defending his integrity as we talked about last week. Integrity is so important in our lives. It, it's, it's so important, our integrity. We talked about yesterday, even as we were going through Timothy, how, how sometimes we value now today, in today's world, we value money, we value possessions, we value success more than we value integrity. More than we value now, even now, uh, our character. And we put other things above it, but here Paul is saying, you know what, I'm not unstable. I'm not an unstable leader. You understand why a lot of families are broken up, why the church sometimes lacks now uh, stability because they lack leadership. But not just any type of leadership, stable leadership. And they're saying here, Paul is saying here, I, I am not unstable. I am worthy of trust. You can count on me. One of the best leaders in a trait, uh, one of the best traits in a leader, I'll tell you. One of the best traits in a leader is stability. That you don't have to, uh, you know, suspect or think that things are going to change from one day to another. That, that there is stability within the leadership. You're not always changing things up. You're not always surprising people with the changes that you're making. All of a sudden, no, one of the greatest traits in any leader is stability. And not only does he talk about stability, but he's saying, you know what, I, I'm going to talk about discipline. The discipline that you ought to have, but also the forgiveness that you ought to do by bringing in this person that's already repented. And now he tells us, but God is the one that leads you into victory even through all of the suffering that we're going through. Why does he go back to the issue of suffering? Because the pain and the suffering and the brokenness that you have gone through or that you're going through, all of that, all of the brokenness and the pain and the suffering, it's all a part of your testimony. Do you know how God uses the brokenness? He uses pain in your life. It's a part of your testimony. It's a part of your story. It's a part of how you're going to share with someone else so that they can also overcome those certain areas of your life. And today you can know that whatever battle that you're in today, whatever circumstance that you're in today, you may be in a battle today. No, Jesus has the final victory already. You're in a battle today, but Jesus has a final victory. And when you understand that, when you know that, you can, you can live with this. 
In God's will, there's no failure. And in God's will, there's no disappointment. Sometimes we live so disappointed. We think this is failure. This is not, you know, success. This is not what we thought it would be. But if you're in God's will, there is no failure in the will of God. There is no disappointments in the will of God because you're trusting God. And you're saying, you know, I'm fighting this present battle. I'm fighting this present battle today knowing that God already has the final victory. God already has the final victory. Now He's going to talk to us here in, cha in chapter 2, verse 12, about how He was journeying from place to place, and why is it God opened some doors, and why God closed the others, and why He made the decisions that He had to make, while demonstrating that He was a le leader with stability. I pray that today we would be men and women of stability, that have a foundation, that our yes is yes, our no is no, that what we say we actually mean, and what we mean, you know, we actually stand by that, and we actually say that. And that's what Paul was. In verse 12 he says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas, after telling them that Satan is going to take advantage of them if they don't forgive, he tells them now about his journey, his journey of faith. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord. Now we see that he's journeying from place to place. You know that Paul now is going from one place to another and he's wanting to go to the church of Corinth. But he says here in verse 12, Furthermore, I'm telling you, I was on a journey. I was headed down that way actually. And I was going with one purpose. Notice that he says it in verse 12. I came to Troas to preach Christ is gospel. Now why does he say that? Because it wasn't Paul's gospel. It wasn't Peter's gospel, it wasn't the gospel of, 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 of the church of Corinth or the church of Philippi or the church of Macedonia. It's not the gospel of Calvary Chapel, it's not the gospel of a live Christian fellowship. It's the gospel of Christ. You see how he, he, he relates to it? He tells them right there, I didn't make the gospel up. This is the good news that promotes Jesus and this is why I came. Do you know that sometimes the Lord is going to move you to one place, from one place to another? But the primary focus on why He moves you is for Christ's gospel, for the good news of Jesus. And He says it here, Furthermore, I came to trust to preach Christ's gospel. And a door was opened to me by the Lord. Now do you see why God opened the door? You see, God opens a door at work. God opens a door at, at school or at church, sometimes for ministry with your neighbors. He opens it up for His gospel. And if we woke up every day saying, Lord, today, if you would just open up a door, I want to walk right through it so that others can know the gospel. Think about how the Lord will use us. Now, Paul was very confident that the doors that were open in his life were not doors that he forced open. Were not doors that, that, God, that a man opened. They, they were not doors that he had to break down that door so he can finally get that blessing. No, it was a door that the Lord opened. And we have to really find peace in that. Sometimes when the Lord is having us wait a little bit for that door to open or for that opportunity, we get a little impatient. And we say, Lord, if you don't open that door, I'm going to kick that door down today. <laughs> because I want to just be in the other side of that place now in life. And we start to re remind ourselves, we start to think, you know, what is it, Lord, that you're wanting to do? But he's saying, you know what, the door that, that was open, it was from the Lord. And, and Paul knew this one thing. That when God opens a door, I'm going to walk right through it by faith. I'm not going to doubt it's the Lord. The Lord opens doors and it's the Lord that also closes doors. 
But Paul was living a life of God-directed service. It was God-directed. It wasn't by man. He wasn't striving. He wasn't fighting. It was the Lord. It was God-directed. He wasn't in a place where God didn't want him to be. It was all God-directed. The Lord opened the door. Now he says in a verse here 13, before he goes on and talks about the door that was open, he's going to show us that sometimes when doors are open, it's not a perfect situation either. When doors are open, we have to understand that there's going to be certain things that are taking place that maybe we're going to have to adapt or be flexible to. Now in fact, he says in verse 13, And I had no rest in my spirit, because I didn't find Titus, my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. I'm saying, I showed up to Troas, God opened the door. I was looking for Titus, because this wasn't a one-man show. I needed Titus because I wanted him to know the state of which and where you found yourself in. I was concerned for you, so I went and I looked for Titus, but I found I didn't find him. And because I didn't find him, I left and I went looking for him. Now, what does this show about Paul? Paul is not about himself when he's serving in ministry. It's not about just what Paul can accomplish. It's he's saying, I want to serve with Titus and I want to know now news about the church of Corinth. He was concerned about their faith, and he's saying, I, I need others. Sometimes when we want the Lord to open doors and He finally opens the door, we rush right through them and we are not concerned about taking others with us. Taking others with us. You know, it's been said, if you want to go fast, then you're going to have to go alone. But if you want to go far, then you're going to go together. Paul understood this concept. If you want to go fast, then you're going to go alone. But if you want to go far... You're going to go together. And Titus here is saying, Paul is saying, I'm looking for Titus in this, this directed service that God has led me in. I know it's the Lord that's opening these doors. I want to hear this report about the church of Corinth. I'm concerned about the church of Corinth, so I want to go look for him. And we see here, when, when God opens a door, we can have faith that, that God's saying, just walk through that door now, and God's going to bless that ministry. And, and that's what he did. But he's also adapting to the changes that were taking place as he was walking through that door. You see, when God opens a door, walk through it, when he, when he turns on and he sets the light there, he wants you to work there. When, when he brings in people, then he wants to receive a harvest of blessing. But it's God working behind the scenes. And I want you to understand this. When, when God opens a door, there's always spiritual warfare associated. Sometimes we don't think, you know what, God opened that door for that job, but there's going to be no spiritual warfare associated. God opened the door for us to move and step out in faith and do this. And understand there's spiritual warfare associated with that as well. Every time you take a step of faith into something that God has called you, something new, there's going to come attacks from the enemy. Do you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, he says, A great and effective door has opened to, up to me, but there are many adversaries. A great door. It was an effective door. It was a door that God can use. But there are many adversaries. There's so much opposition with the door that has been opened. It doesn't mean it's not the Lord. It means that it's the enemy trying to hold you back from walking through that door that God has called you in. A great and effective door has opened up to me. But there are many adversaries. Understand that with doors that God opens, there's also spiritual warfare. Not only that, we should also be praying for open doors. When was the last time you said, Lord, I want you to open up new doors in our ministry? 
I want you to open up new doors in my life, in my marriage, in my family. I want to walk past this now and get to the other side of this season. Open up a door so that you can, we can be used by you. You know what kind of doors Paul prayed for? He didn't only pray for doors that would benefit him. He prayed for the doors that would benefit the gospel. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 3, he tells the church, Meanwhile, praying also for us, pray for us, that God would open to us a door for the Word. You think about that, that God would open to us a door for the Word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains. He's writing from prison here in, to the church of Colossae, and he tells them, I'm in chains right now because I'm preaching, but pray that here in prison, God opens to me a door for me to preach the gospel while I'm here. Have you ever asked God, Lord, I, I don't want to be in this season, in this place. I don't want to be in, in this job or in, in this location or in this, this neighborhood or whatever it would be. And instead of saying that, Paul didn't say, pray for us that, that God would take me out of prison. He didn't say that. He could have said that. He said, no, pray that while I'm in chains, God opens up a door here so that I can preach the gospel. Well, isn't that amazing, the perspective that he had? Wow, what if you're driving to work tomorrow and you're saying, Lord, while I'm coming to this job, well, I pray that you open up a door today so that I can preach and speak the gospel because I know that's why I'm here. Lord, thank you so much that you provided for me a place to live and a house to be at. But I pray that while we're here, that you would open up a door for us to speak the mystery of Christ because I know that's why we're here. You see, Paul knew why he was there. He had a purpose. Not only in 2 Corinthians, but throughout Scripture. And think about this, when God opens up a door, also, no one can shut that door. Isn't that comforting? Even through the opposition, you know, Lord, you did this. And when God opens the door, no matter what the boss says, no matter what happens, you know, the opposition, people bad-mouthing and talking and whatnot, God opened that door, no man can shut that door any longer. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, it says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says, to he who is holy and who he who is true. He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. Oh, love that part. Sometimes we say, Lord, we thank you so much because you open up doors and no one can shut them. God also shuts doors that no one can open. <laughs> He's in control of that. I know your works that I'm seeing, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it for you have little strength, you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. With the little strength that you had, you had, were faithful. So God opened up a new door. We always want the Lord to open up a new door. But what are you doing where God has you today? For the church in Philadelphia, he said, you know, you have a little strength, but you've been faithful. So I'm going to open a door and no one can shut it. I am the Lord. Do you see how here this is a God-directed service where Paul is living? I want you to, we learned three things in these two verses that, number one, when God opens up a door, expect spiritual warfare. When God opens up a door, expect spiritual warfare. But in verse 13, you also know that he left. He didn't find Timothy. When God opens up a door, also learn to be flexible. I mean, we learned that so much throughout these last few weeks. We're learning how to be flexible, how to be adaptable, how to be teachable. God opened up a door. All right, also you learn to be flexible. Just because God opens up a door doesn't mean it's going to go your way. It's the, Lord, it's the door that He opened that means it's going to go His way. It's His plan. And number three, when God opens up a door, don't stop praying. Amen. 
don't stop praying. Sometimes we say, Lord, thank you. You open up a door. We're walking right through it. Lord, we'll go ahead and call you when we need the next door open. And we just walk right through and we say, Lord, you know, until the next door, we'll, we'll, we'll give you a call. We'll pray. Now, no, when God opens up a door, don't stop praying. How many times do you say, Lord, thank you for that new job that you've given me. And we stop praying now. No, Lord, now that you have me here, use me here. Open up a door now here so that I can speak the mystery of Christ and the oracles of the word of God. Verse 14, he says, Now thanks be to God. He's giving him praise. You know, our, our lives have to be filled more with gratitude. You know men and women that are stable in their leadership, those whose lips, whose hearts, and whose minds are filled with gratitude to God. You should thank God for every season that you're in in life right now. There should be more gratitude in your prayer than anything else. Sometimes we fill our prayers with requests instead of with praise. Our praise should come before our requests because of how good God is already. And he says, but thanks be to God. Now thanks be to God. Why, why is he saying thanks be to God? Because he's praising Him for the victory that he's living in today and the victory that he's expecting also tomorrow. Praise God for what he's doing today, but praise God for what he's going to do in my life tomorrow. Do you see how he's saying, praise God who leads me? I, I love this. Let's study this verse, verse 14. Now thanks be to God. Now praise be to God who always, I want you to underline that and circle that, who always leads us. See, if you're being led by God, you're going to be led into victory. If you're being led by the world, you're going to be led into defeat. <laughs> if you're being led by your coworker, by emotions, by feelings, but what I want, by culture, by what the society says and what the common trends of today say, you're going to be led into defeat, into disappointment, led into now failure, led into heartache, led into headache. But what is he saying here? He tells us very clearly in verse 14, but praise be to God who always, God never leads you into defeat. Isn't that already comforting? <laughs> God has a 100% ratio of always leading you into victory. He is always on the winning side. He's always on the win. That's why I want to be on God's team. Lord, you're the captain. I want, Lord, pick me to be on that team. You know, have you ever remember being on, you know, maybe growing up and saying, you know what, you have two captains and you're, you're getting picked and you're hoping that guy doesn't pick you because you know his team always loses. And you're wondering, Lord, just please do not, but you're hiding in the back. You're waiting for this other guy to pick you because you want to be on the winning team. Now Paul is saying, I thank God because I'm on the winning team. Every time we win. Uh, he always leads us into victory. Think about how he's leading them into victory now. Who leads us into triumph or into victory. How though? How are, you, how are you being led into victory? How do you say, I am on the winning team? How are you? How are you on the winning team when you are in Christ? In Christ. In Christ. Leads us into victory in Christ. You cannot be saying, Lord, I want you to lead me into victory outside of Christ. Amen. See, the problem with us today is that we want to be able to say, I want to live my life the way, however way I want. It's not going to be in Christ. However, I want it to be in victory. That doesn't, that, that doesn't exist. If you want to be in victory, that means you're first in Christ. That means that God says, give me your obedience and I'll lead you into victory. 
Our, our victory is very much so contingent upon our obedience. Our victory is contingent, is dependent upon our obedience. And he's saying when you're in Christ means you're in, in obedience, which means you're in victory and you're following that general Christ. You're following that general and, and Jesus has his own plan. But if you're not walking in Christ, then you're definitely not walking in victory. I'll tell you today. Because the first step to walking in victory is your obedience. The first step of you walking in victory is your surrender. Now he's not only does he, he's also painting a picture. And I want you to understand the picture that he's painting. Because he says, praise God who also leads us in victory. And let's read the, the following, that portion of that verse. And through us, when he leads us into victory, through us, diffuses or sprays. I want you to even maybe write that word down. Diffuses or sprays or gives an aroma through us of the fragrance or of the smell of His knowledge in every place. I mean, do you understand that? That you have an aroma. I mean, I hope that it would be a good one. <laughs> but He says that in Christ, you have an aroma, a scent... As God is leading you into victory, so everywhere you go and every place you go, you bring the beautiful fragrance and the smell of Jesus. That is the aroma that you bring. Now think about the picture that he's painting that I want to show you now. He's painting now the Lord leading us into victory. He's talking about a Roman now general who just came back from now war. And he came back in victory. And what they would do now, the Lord that leads us into victory, what they would do now after they would come back from war into victory, they would now parade. It was a public parade that they would lead. The general would come in the front with his chariot. And he would come now and everyone would, would bring flowers out that smelled so good. And, and, and they would be praising that the victory of the Roman general and all his soldiers would come marching down after him with his chariot. And after that would come the, the people that he had conquered in that place. The enemies chained now to the chariot. And after the enemies that would be chained at the end of the chariot would be the spoil everything that they want now from that place that they want to go conquer. Now what he's saying here, thanks be to God who leads me into victory. Thanks be to the Lord who I am chained to his chariot by the cords of his love and of his grace. That I have been overcome by mercy. And I'm walking in that now procession, in that parade. I'm walking in that procession. I'm walking in that parade and he's leading me as an example of victory. Do you understand that the first position of victory is your obedience to the Lord and that's what he's that's the picture that he's painting to them he wants them to understand that I have been overcome by the grace and the love of God I'm bound I'm enchained I'm enslaved now into victory that's so amazing to be able to be that you see the place that you find full liberty is a place when you're actually enchained and enslaved to God a lot of times we think, you know what, I find liberty in doing what I want. That's not where you find liberty. The, the place that you find liberty in is a place where you're enchained and enslaved to that chariot of your master general, uh, uh, of our chief and commander, which is Christ. That's what he's saying in Christ. I'm bound and chained by the cords of love. And because of that, this is the picture that he's painting. He's demonstrating to them that, that nothing can stop this type of victory. And what does he tell us here? In the latter part of verse 14. And through us, as we're walking through this procession, wherever we go. Verse 14. Through us, through you, through me. 
through this parade, through this procession, wherever we go, wherever we turn by that general, that we're, we're bound by the cords now and overcome and conquered by His grace and His love and His mercy. Wherever He leads, He leads one direction. We're following that direction. He leads another. Wherever we go, He diffuses the fragrance or the aroma and the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet-smelling incense and like a perfume. You see, wherever they went, there were these flowers that would smell so beautiful. Wherever they went in this parade, in this procession, and it smelled like the smell of victory. You see, we're bringing the smell of victory, the scent of obedience, and the true scent of surrender as we are obedient to the Lord and we are in Christ. The New Living Translation reads this verse, verse 14, like this, But thanks be to God that He made us His captives. Thank you, Lord, because you enslaved me. You, you overcame me with your grace. I'm, your, I'm, in, I'm enslaved to God. I'm bound by God. I'm in chains to God. He said, and He continues. Not only did He overcome me, He continues now to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now He uses us to spread His knowledge of Christ everywhere like sweet-smelling perfume. Have you ever seen, seen someone walk into a room and, man, you, man, how much did you spray today, brother? Right? <laughs> Is that something new that you're wearing? But you automatically smell them. You, you, there's an aroma to it. it. It's something pleasant. It's something that, it, that you can smell, that you can, you can tell. So it fills the air. And he's saying, just like that, we, me and you, when we are unbound and chained to Christ, we are like the sweet smelling aroma coming into that workplace, coming into that household giving the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You know how you get that smell? You know how you get that smell? I mean, I remember working, you know, at Starbucks, and every time I would come home, I would smell like coffee. And, and, and I still today, I, I, can, I, can, I can notice that smell. I go to get a cup of coffee today, and I'll notice right after I leave, I can smell that, because I recognize that from when I used to work there. You want to know how you get that aroma of Jesus Christ? By spending time in His presence. By spending, saying, Lord, I want, to be, I want you to use me, that, that through me, I'm the vessel in which you spray that aroma and that you would fill me, Lord. That, that it's the breath of God that fills us with the fragrance of His knowledge. You know how you get the breath of God that fills you with the fragrance of His knowledge that pours into you as a vessel? By spending time with the Lord in fellowship. That's how you get the, the fragrance. You cannot get fragrance outside of fellowship. Sometimes we want to get the aroma, but we don't want to abide. We want to get the fragrance, but we don't want to fellowship. He's saying we are like a perfume vessel, and the fragrance that's in us is the gospel of Jesus. So wherever we go, He diffuses the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're that vessel, Lord. We want to spend time, Lord, just pour into us here, so that wherever we go, we smell like it. Because we spent time there. It's like you go somewhere and you spent time there and now you smell like it. What would, it, what would we, kind of, what kind of scent would we give to others around us when we spend time in fellowship with the Lord? We must ask ourselves today, what kind of aroma goes up to heaven? What kind of aroma is going up to heaven and around your life here on earth from your life? If there was a scent that would go up that reaches heaven, a scent that would go up even here on earth, what kind would it be here from your life that is going up? 
Because he's talking about this son. But let's read verse 15. For we are to God, when God looks at us, when the general looks back at us, you know what he sees? We are to God the fragrance of Christ. And when he looks at us, he looks at Jesus. He looks at victory. He looks back and he says, yes, they've been conquered by, by my son. They've been conquered by the cords of his grace and his mercy and through the cross. And we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. He didn't say you are the fragrance of Christ at church and at work. You smell like something else. <laughs> Has that been the case sometimes, man? At church, you smell beautiful, man. But I went by at work, man. You smell like something else, bro. No, he said, you are the fragrance of Christ. You are that scent, that Christ-like fragrance. You know, it's so amazing that sometimes even today you see when people make those fragrances, those perfumes, sometimes they put their name, their brand on it. Or sometimes you even you can smell a flower or a plant and you know, well, this, this smell belongs to that plant. This smell belongs to maybe that food. But here he's saying in verse 15, you are a Christ-like aroma. You smell like the presence of Jesus in the eyes of God. You smell like the presence of Jesus in the eyes of God. Is that the scent that is attracted, that follows you wherever you go? That, that scent follows you wherever? I don't want that scent to ever leave me, Lord. If I go somewhere, it, it smells like Christ. If you go somewhere, it's smelling like the Lord. And you don't want that smell to ever leave you. You don't want to ever dilute that smell. You don't want nothing to interrupt that smell. You want to wear that smell wherever you go. No matter where you go, I want to make sure that I take that scent with me. I want to make sure that I'm diffusing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he's telling us. But what is he saying? You are the victorious life. You are to God a pleasing aroma. God is so pleased with the aroma that he sees in us as we're obeying the Lord. And you are that aroma to God to those that are saved. And you are aroma, that aroma to God to those that are not saved. And just like that aroma is needed in the church, that aroma is also needed in the world. Because the world already smells bad. The world, the world smells like deception. The world smells like sin. The world smells like lies. The world smells like adultery. The world smells like fornication. The world smells like, like addictions. It smells like vices already. We need to be those that now are giving a different type of scent, a different type of smell, that we're diffusing something else. And it's the Christ-like scent. Now the New Living Translation reads this verse, Our lives are like a Christ-like fragrance that are rising up to God, but this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and those who are perishing. You know, when, when some smell that, they say, man, I want to be attracted to that. But others that smell it say, I want nothing to do with that smell. Well, some people that, that, that smell that smell that they, and that aroma and that fragrance and then they're in that, 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 that type of atmosphere... See, I want more of that. I want more of Jesus because they're accepting the gospel. But then they're saying, you know, I don't want to be around that. Guess what? They're saying, I'm rejecting the gospel. Have you ever had someone maybe at work or someone that, that really is attracted to you? You have no idea why they would be. They just want to be around you. They, they just like you and, and their ideology, their ideas, their morals, their values. So maybe not aligned with biblical standards or, or what you stand for. But for some reason, they want to be around you. You know why? Because they're smelling the scent and the aroma of Jesus. 
And that's attracting them in. They're saying, man, I want, I want to be around that. I want to be around that more. And there's no explanation, but it's that you're wearing the perfume of Christ. And they just want to smell it. They want to be in it. Now it says, to the one, we are aroma of death leading to death. Those that are rejecting, we're a smell, a stench. They're saying, I want nothing to do with that. And that smell is almost like a smell of them of damnation. They're saying, you know, we rejected the truth. And that smell reminds them of, of a condemnation. And, and it reminds them of a conviction. It reminds them of a disobedience. And they want nothing to do with it. That's why the world wants nothing to do with Christianity. The world is filled with an antichrist culture. That's why when you say Jesus, people get upset. You can say God. You can say higher power. When you say Jesus, people start having problems. But they don't want the Christ-like fragrance. I can have a higher power fragrance because everyone stands for that. But with the moment that you start spraying on that Christ-like fragrance, people have a problem with that. Why do they have a problem with that? Because to them, that smells like disobedience, like damnation, like hell, because they've rejected the message that you're dispensing with that fragrance. And he's saying to one, it's the smell of doom because it re represents judgment to them. It represents death to those that reject. Now, that's that gospel. And it says, but to the other one, it says, to the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death. And to the other, the aroma of life leading to life, who is sufficient for these things. But to the other ones, we're, we're the aroma of life that leads only to life. To those that are saved, we are a life-giving perfume that is present, pleasant to smell, that is giving life to those who accept the message. But then he's saying, but who's, who's willing to accept this? Who's sufficient to fulfill this? Who's sufficient to be a part of God's plan when it comes to this, to be able to dispense the gospel and the message of Christ? See, when you go to, and you're dispensing now, and you are giving off the aroma of Jesus Christ, some are going to say, you know what, I want more of that. But others are going to say, I want nothing to do with that because you're diffusing something that reminds them of their condemnation. That's why. Well, you, ever since you changed, we don't want to be around you. We don't want to invite you. Why? Because you, you remind them of their sin. You remind them of where God pulled you from. Are you supposed to? Absolutely. Absolutely. What does the Bible tell us when it comes to John 3, 17, 21? That God didn't send His Son to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved, and he who believes in Him is not condemned. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. People have chosen their own condemnation. God doesn't say, you know what, I'm going to condemn you, I want you to live in condemnation. They've chosen that condemnation in rejecting Jesus. He who believes is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. And this is the condemnation. That the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. That's condemnation. When you rather be in darkness than in light, you're, living, you're, gonna, you're, you're setting yourself up for condemnation. When you're saying, I'd rather be in the dark places where sin exists than in light where Jesus exists. When you're saying that, when you're choosing darkness over light, you're saying, I am choosing condemnation. And he's saying because their deeds were evil. You know that sin and evil deeds always happen in the dark? But in the light, they're exposed. For everyone practicing evil hates the light. People that are practicing, what are they? They, they hate the light. They don't want nothing to do with the light, it says. They don't want nothing to do with the light. And he who does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. When somebody comes 
to the light, guess what happens? Their deeds are exposed and they want nothing to do with it. That's why they're saying, you know what? To some that smell, they reject it. But he who does the truth comes to the light and his deeds may be clearly seen. You know, he who is living in the truth, who is abiding, is not ashamed to be in the light. Look at, uh, at my exposed deeds. Uh, look at, look at, uh, at what my heart looks like. Look at what my intentions look like. They're pure in the sight of God. You can test me against now looking at me through light. And you can see and expose that my heart belongs to the Lord. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Now he ends in verse 17 talking about him being in the light. And he, th- he says this. You can, let's read the verse. For we are not as so many. We're not like everyone else. The problem with today is that we want to be like everyone else. We want to look like them. We want to sound like them. We want to go where they go. We want to be in the picture. We want them to tag us. <laughs> we want to get recognition. I'm not like many. He's saying, right, let's get, I'm going to get something straight. Paul's saying, I'm not like you. Why do we have a problem saying that? You know, I love you, but I'm not like you. I'm not like you. I'm not like so many. He's saying, peddling the word of God. You know what the word peddling means? He's saying, using the word of God, adulterating the word of God, watering the word of God, saying, oh, I believe in God, but I can still do this. I have my own relationship with God. I pray every night. You know, uh, my rela- it's between me and the Lord. Only God can judge me. I'd be scared of that too. Because one day he will. <laughs> he said, I'm not using the word of God. I'm not watering the word of God to sell it. I'm not trying to market the Word of God to make it appealing to people so that I can make money off of it. I'm not corrupting the Word of God or compromising the Word of God for my benefits. He's saying, I'm not doing that. I'm not like other people. I'm not like everyone. In fact, he's saying, I'm not like the fakes. There's so many fakes out there. I'm also a believer. But your life doesn't demonstrate any discipleship. Are you really a believer? I'm not like so many that are peddling the word of God, that they're, they're, they're hucksters, they're preaching the word of God for personal profit, that, that they're preaching the word of God for their own benefit, that they're twisting the word of God, that they're using the word of God for a platform for themselves. The word of God is not a platform for you. You're a platform for the word of God. And we better get that straight. Sometimes we think the word of God is a platform for me. No, you're a platform for the word of God. You might stand on it, but you're used to be able to represent it. You might stand on the word of God, but it's not there to promote you. You're still there to promote it. And look what he says. I'm not like them who preach for personal profit. And, and I love how he ends here. But as, but as of sincerity, I'm sincere. I'm the real deal. I love you. I'm sincere. I'm not fake. I'm not saying one thing and I don't really mean another. I'm not being emotional. You know what the problem is today? We're emotional. We want to stick with the Lord one day and then guess what? We fall off. And you know, it's almost like, you know, when you start the gym, you're excited in January. What happens? And you know, by March, by June, you're like, man, I haven't been there in a while. <laughs> you start something, a certain hobby or something and, and you start really strong. But guess what happens? And you fall away or you start to uh, use it, you know, just so that people can believe something or, or you, you're trying to just put up a front. He said, I'm not putting up a front. I'm not living like other people. I'm not like everyone else. In fact, I am sincere. I am honest. I have integrity now. But as from God, we speak. As from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. I'm speaking from God and I'm speaking in a sight. I am accountable to God. From God. Why are you saying from God? I speak with the authority from God. And I speak in the sight of God. 
we must understand that every day we're speaking with the authority of God and we're speaking the word of God. We're speaking with the authority of God into our world, with the authority of his word, speaking with the authority of God, but also we're speaking in the sight of God. Do never forget that the things you say, God hears them. God hears the things you say. God also hears the things you don't say when you're supposed to say them. But he's saying here, I'm sincere and I'm hearing the things you're saying. But as from God, I speak from God. I'm a messenger from God. I'm accountable to God. I'm with the authority of God. But also we speak in the sight of God in Christ. In Christ. Not in Paul. Not in Peter. Not in the church of Corinth. In now Christ. What is he saying here? Knowing God is watching me. It's almost like Paul is saying, I'm not fake. What happens when you get a, a fake bill? How do you tell it's fake? You can tell but maybe if you handle it a lot. But what, what oftentimes do we do when we see if something is fake? You hold it up to the light. You say, oh, you know what? This one's, this one's not real. Let's move this one to the side. Paul is saying, hold up my life up to the light. I'm sincere. That's what he means when he's talking about sincere. I'm pure. Sincere means I'm pure. Sincere also means I'm transparent. I want you to remember that today. I'm pure. I'm transparent. You can hold me up to the light. And you can tell that I am the real deal. I'm pure and I'm transparent. And describe something that you can test it with the light. Put it under that light, that light and see if it's real. Put it under that light extreme and see if it's real. So you can hold me up to the light. You can hold me up to the sun. You can look at the light shining through me. And he's saying, and you know that my ministry and you know that my message is done right with God. Now, what would happen if the Lord's saying, all right, it's time for you to get under the light. Step under the light. We had all step under the light, and the Lord said, look at your motive. Look at that intention. The whole time you were supposedly doing it for me, look at the light. The light has just exposed that motive. The light has exposed that thought that you feel towards that brother. You're really not sincere. You're not really pure. You're not, all, you're not transparent right now. You're saying you're a believer, but once you're put under the light, it says something else. He's saying, put me under the light and see that I am the real deal. But why? Because he's glorifying God. Let's finish by reading 1 Peter 4.11. He's saying this in 1 Peter 4.11. Peter tells us this. If anyone speaks, let him speak the oracles of God. Don't speak your opinion. Don't speak your, what your feelings are. Don't speak what you learn from a curriculum that you think is more relevant than the word of God. That's when people come and they ask for prayer. You don't even give them their opinion. You don't try to counsel anyone. Just say, this is what God, the Bible says. It's so easy. <laughs> you know, people, man, do you ask me all the time, do you feel like so intimidated by these problems that people maybe ask for prayer? I was like, I just know the Bible. I just say what the Bible says. And then we pray. And then I say, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what the Bible said about it. I'm not supposed to give you some, some radical advice and, and some brilliant advice that you didn't hear before that maybe I found in a, in a self-help book. No. Or a motivational speech. It had nothing to do with it. I just said, this is what the Bible says. Let's go ahead and pray. That way you can do that. <laughs> and we can move forward. It says, if anyone speaks, let him speak the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability that God has supplies. That in all things, in all things, in all things, it says here, God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. That when you're put into the, into the light, when he says, all right, it's time for you to step into the light, my son, my daughter. Oh man, you glorify God into that light. Oh, keep him under there. Keep him under that light because he's glorifying God under that light. He says, to him belong the glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. Why? Because Paul lived a life that was sincere. 
Sincere. Are you sincere? Ask yourself today. Are you honest? Are you pure? And are you transparent? God wants men and women that are honest, that are pure, and that are transparent. Let's ask God today, Lord, make me sincere. That no matter where I go, you can put that test, put me under that light. And my thoughts, my intentions would be sincere. They would glorify you under that light. I don't want to be a fake. I don't want to be a poser. He's saying, I'm not like you. I'm actually sincere. We must be bold enough to tell the world, I'm not like you. I'm sincere. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your word, Lord. We ask, Lord, that your word would continue to manifest itself in our lives, God. We want to be sincere. We want to be pure. We want to be transparent. That We want to be held under that light. And while we're there, it glorifies you because it exposes, Lord, the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. It diffuses the aroma in that scent, Lord. I ask, Lord, that you would continue to work in our lives, God. And maybe there's someone here that needs to give their life over to you, God. They would make that decision once and for all, Lord. Seeing, I don't want to be like the world. I don't want to smell like the world. I don't want to come into my house smelling like the world, talking like the world. I don't want to come to my job smelling just like them. I have my own smell that should belong to me. It's a Christ-like scent. It's already been bought for me. I don't have to pay the price for it. It went to the cross. And the Lord said, look, it, I, I bought you victory. And I also gave you a smell. I gave you an aroma. It's, it's it, the aroma of the, of the gospel, of the good news. That only happens when we're in obedience. And Lord, I pray that you would do that for us. Give us the courage to be bold and say, I'm not like you. I'm not like you, world. I'm not like you, sin. I am not like you, friends that don't know Christ. Co-workers that don't know Jesus. I'm sincere because I belong to God. And everything I say is in the sight of God. 